Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week I have Chris Lewitt back on the pod. It was 2015 last time he was on, which is crazy to think it's been that many years, but we have stayed in touch all this time and recently reconnected to discuss what's going on in the world of ratings and rankings in junior and college tennis. And Chris has some very definite views about how parents and coaches, well, and players too, for that matter, can best use not only USTA ranking, ITF ranking, but also UTR and the new world tennis number, which as you guys know, the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association has just announced that they will be using the ITF world tennis number in college rankings and ratings. So I think it's really important to hear what Chris has to say about all of this, how we can all stay somewhat sane as we deal with the changing uh, landscape of junior tennis ratings and rankings, the changing landscape of college recruiting. So I hope that you will pay close attention to the very, very, very valuable information that Chris has to share. Before I bring him on, just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, we would love for you to become a premium member of Parenting Aces. Just go to parentingaces.com, click on the join button, and you will have full access to everything we have to offer. So for now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Coach Chris Lewitt. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Well, hey, Chris, welcome back to the Parenting Aces podcast. Um, as we were just discussing, the last time you were on was 2015. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be back. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege. And it has been, I can't believe it. That's almost eight years. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, a lot's changed, but a lot stayed the same. And, you know, one of the recurring threads with Parenting Aces over the 12 plus years I've been doing this is the issues that were issues when my kid was playing junior tennis are still issues today. And at the top of that list is the whole rating and ranking discussion, which seems to twist and turn, but the underlying uh, kind of sentiment is consistent. And basically it's that people are just confused. Like, 
are we supposed to pay attention to UTR? Are we supposed to pay attention to WTN? Are we supposed to pay attention to ITF, USTA? Like, or, what do or we like, do? Yeah, or like TRN, or there's, there's so many now. It's a little bit of chaos out there. Yeah, what, absolutely. What do, what do parents and players do? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And it's like, you know, there are a lot of tournament opportunities, which is great news for junior tennis and for tennis development overall. But it's all expensive. It's all time consuming. And so where do the parents focus their energies and efforts and resources to help their kids reach their goals, whether that's playing on high school tennis teams, whether that's playing in college, whether that's having a professional tennis career, whether it's going on like you into coaching and and developing players. So let's dig in a little bit. You have some very definite thoughts about UTR, about WTN, um, about ratings and rankings in general. I know you've done a ton of digging into the topic, talking with other experts in the field. So um, I'm very curious. I'd like to to start with the positive that you brought out, talking about opportunity. Right now, we have the most opportunity for, especially for, I'm the junior, I'm in junior high performance coaching, but incredible opportunity. So all of these, uh, we can talk about the negatives, like the chaos. And so it seems kind of messy out there. But the fact of the matter is parents and players have way more opportunities, I think, than ever before, like you were alluding to, which is a huge positive. Like I have students who can go, they can choose, they could play USDA tournaments, they can play ITF tournaments, they can play UTR tournaments. And there's other junior circuits out there now also working off of the UTR platform because the UTR platform gives you such flexibility and simplicity to run uh, programs and events. So there's just a lot of options out there for parents and players. It wasn't always that way. And I think that's a tremendous positive right now in the world, in the tennis world, especially the junior tennis world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the messages that I push pretty consistently is if you work hard, if you go out and try to get 1% better at some aspect of your game every day, the ratings and rankings are going to take care of themselves. And you really don't need to focus on those numbers. You need to focus on what you're doing personally each day to get better. And I think, you know, most coaches I've talked to, if not every coach I've talked to, agrees with that. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to sink in. And the most common conversation I have with parents is, you know, my kid doesn't, they're concerned about their UTR. What if they can't get recruited? You know, they don't want to play this tournament because it might hurt their rating or their ranking. How do we reverse this? I don't know if it's reversible, but we have to manage it. And like you're saying, there because there's because UTR and these ratings are part of our life now, they, they become the fabric of our, our life, just like technology and social media and things like that have become part of our our daily life. And so it's very stressful for parents and players, you know. Uh, like you said, it's there the you're being constantly rated by an algorithm. You have a computer that I joke, the computer's like God, like like a religion, but you basically have this entity, this computer that's judging you every day. Mm -hmm. And that's an intrusion into our life. That's an intrusion into the life of kids and parents and families. And for better or for worse, I don't think we can move back 
in time. That that's the way the the world of technology is. It's the way social media is. The same danger of social media you can you have with with UTR, for example. UTR is appified, and the kids can check it all the time, and it's being updated daily. WTN is updated weekly, and which is I guess a little bit better. But you basically have an algorithm. You have a computer judging you on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. And it's really, really stressful for parents. It's really, really stressful for kids. It creates a lot of anxiety. And not to mention the anxiety of trying to navigate all of those tournament uh, opportunities that we were talking about before. That's also stressful. How do you know which to play, yeah. where to, where, what to prioritize? But, but the fact that there's an algorithm, basically, what the algorithm does, both for WTN and UTR, it's fascinating. It, it basically projects what your ability is and what so when there's a matchup the algorithm predicts what the score should be basically and then you have to either prove that you're better than what the computer says or prove that you're worse and then your number gets adjusted from that and that's super stressful like it's not you can't just go to a tournament and like work on something anymore that i think that that's from a bygone that idea is from a bygone era i think let me interrupt you can do that if you're not concerned about your rating. But everyone's concerned about it because it has right. so much impact. It's like right. a de facto SAT score for the older juniors who are looking at college. It's so important. Right now, we're basically, I'll, use, I'll talk about UTR because UTR is the buzzword that everyone knows. But I think as we were discussing before the show, WTN will become part of the nomenclature, will become part of the lexicon that everyone, everybody in the tennis world knows, maybe even better than, than UTR. Right now, everyone just says UTR. What's your UTR? And all the kids say, hey, what's your UTR? The first time a kid comes to practice, every kid say, hey, at the water break, hey, hey, what's your UTR? How you? Everyone wants to know, what's your number? What do you get on the SAT? You know, yeah. um, and that's the world we live in. I think parents have The to difference try. is, however, between UTR and SAT, nobody can look up your SAT. Everybody can look up your UTR. So there's no yeah. hiding. Yeah, and it's appified. And you and you know from from social media, there's a lot of concern from educators and researchers that you know these so, these social media companies they want you to check the app all the time. That's how they that's how they make money. And so I think it's a little disingenuous for the UTR, which is a, a for profit company. If if anyone in, in UTR says, well. Well, we, we're, we're, we, we don't want the kids to become obsessed with their number. But to me, that is in conflict with their business plan, because as a, as a for-profit company, and you, if you appify this, this uh, rating instrument, that's the whole goal, to get basically to get people obsessed with, with their rating, because that, that means, and you can tweak the algorithm to incentivize more and more play, which also brings more money into your coffers. The more kids have to play to, to keep their rating up, you know, based on how you tweak the algorithm, then that brings more money into your business. And at, at the end of the day, UTR is a business. It's a for-profit business as compared to say the ITF, you know, for better, for worse. I'm not, to, not to say the ITF doesn't need money and doesn't want to make money, but ITF is, uh, I believe a nonprofit, or right, Lisa, and it's trying to um, grow. I, I'm pretty sure I know USTA is a nonprofit, yeah. but you, you have you a, a major, major difference there. I mean, I'm a club owner. I, I'm a UTR official club. I pay uh, thousands of dollars to UTR every year for the privilege to run tournaments, and I feel that pressure dealing with the for-profit entity. You know, as as mm-hmm. opposed to you know just running USDA tournaments. I prefer to run U, UTR tournaments because. 
I like the platform. I like the flexibility. I don't like the red tape and the bureaucracy with the USTA and just a lot of rigid rules for, to run a tournament with the USTA. And so UTR is, is wonderful in that respect. But I feel the pressure of a company that's trying to grow profits. I feel that as a, as a client of, of UTR. So I can imagine it's the same in, in other aspects of their business. Right. But here's the thing that I say quite often um, for most junior players, most, and, you know, there's that, you know, 1% of 1% at the top, but most of them have the goal of playing college tennis in some way, shape or form, whether it's varsity club, being involved with the team as a manager, whatever it is. So does the rating really matter? Because the coaches, the college coaches, are smarter than just a rating or a ranking. The college coaches, at least the ones you would want your kid to play for, know how to evaluate a player based on more than just some number they can pull up on their phone. Yeah, you would hope you would hope that the coaches can look beyond uh, UTR. And I think the good coaches do that, especially if the kid is injured or a kid has some sort of break, like the pandemic skewed everything. Kids weren't playing. Sure. And so you, you, you know, I have a, a few players who are very talented, but maybe they had like a stress fracture in their back and they've been out for six months or you have a kid that's been injured. And usually coaches will, you know, if you, if you speak with them directly uh, or maybe email them and have a conversation, got maybe a coach can speak sometimes within the coaching. If your coach has a connection with a college, you know, that helps to, to open up the door, but as a tool for college coaches, it's invaluable because you can, mm -hmm. you can scan through a lot of players who are applying and weed out players all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough call again, finding that balance, but now that world tennis number WTN has come into play, what impact do you see that having on not only junior tennis and, and development, but also college recruiting. So I think it's going to supplant UTR. I, I think how, we talked how about, quickly. I don't know. It, it, I, I think it'll take time, years, probably, probably years. But mm -hmm. things move fast in, in tech and social media and business. These types of business things can change rapidly, and um, I think that it, I, I feel that UTR is in danger of going out of business. Maybe not in the short term. And they have they have strong business leadership, and I don't know what I have no idea. I have I have not researched their finances or any. I don't know what their funding is, but I think they're really in danger. And I'm not afraid to say, you know, I, I I'm not. It's risky to like make a prediction like that, but I just see what ITF is doing with WTN is is uh, probably what they should have done in the first place uh, years ago. They didn't have the innovative spirit, or the they 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 weren't willing to do it. They had a lot of doubts that it would be valuable and, and mm -hmm. it would work, but. I think UTR has come in and proved that that ratings are really valuable and helpful and, and useful. And, and I think what I think W10 will basically take over what UTR is doing. But uh, it's going to be the, the metric for any kid applying to college, just like UTR is now. Mm -hmm. And it will be the buzzword that all the kids will talk about in practices and at junior tournaments. Everyone's going to say, hey, what's your W10? And uh, it's going to be the key to get, in, get into uh, ITF tournaments because you have to have a good WTN to get seated. And, and for entry, it's going to be everywhere. It, it, it hasn't quite hit, I think, yet because it just, it's just this is just rolling out now. 
Well, uh, and they're, the data pool is so small right now, right? WTN hasn't yet captured enough matches for their algorithm to work in the way it's intended to work. Right. So that's a really good point. So the, 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 the idea of, of, of data and the, the quest for data and all, these algorithms need data to improve their accuracy. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. So you have the ITFs trying to uh, create a, a, a methodology or a, si- a system where they can collect all the data from all of their member countries, you know, 150, 200 countries, and they can get that data really easily and plug it into their algorithm to make the algorithm better and to help grow tennis worldwide. And UTR wants as much data as they can to make their algorithm accurate. And right now, people probably say, well, UTR is probably more accurate, you know, as WTF, because when you're first rolling it out, you have to get more and more data, like you're saying. But as soon as the, as soon as ITF uh, starts, uh, like the momentum comes, and it comes like a snowball, I think WTN is going to be deadly accurate and people are going to love it. You know, right now there may be, you know, doubts and, and the UTR may be able to say right now we're more accurate. They, they're going to say whatever they need to say. To, to, they, they're, they're, uh, I think their life is on the line. So they're going to do everything they can to survive. At the end of the day, th- this type of competition is really, really good for us. It's good for coaches, good for parents, good for players, because when you have competition, it makes businesses better. It makes organizations better. So the USDA is going to be better. They have to be sharper with their game. Hopefully they make new and more and more innovations, but uh, ITF is getting better. You know, they have to be better because UTR has come in and done things really well. But at the end of the day, they may not be able to survive just based on the landscape for them, the business landscape. As a high performance coach, if you have a player who is a sophomore or junior in high school and wants to play college tennis, what advice are you giving them right now about what type of tournaments they should be playing in order to maximize their opportunities to be seen, not necessarily in person, but even, you know, via email by college coaches? Yeah, I mean, we always have the UTR discussion because if if my one of my players wants to go D1, they have to be like a 12 or above, more or less, you know, so you have to be on track. You know, you have to be tracking as a coach, as a high performance development coach, you have to be tracking the UTRs at some on some level. But it's, I don't think it's as front and center, like what do we need to schedule to like improve your UTR? We're going to schedule whatever I feel is best to make the kid better, to help their development. Their development comes first, I think. But there has to be like in the background, you're tracking that number and you're saying, mm-hmm. well, we know where we need to be. If a kid wants to play D3, it's probably more like a 10, you know, between 10 and 11. The best D3 schools are usually recruiting. Like they, their best guys are like sometimes 11 or 12. So they're really Sometimes good. 13s. I mean, the top they're schools really- are competitive at all levels, right? Yeah, but like if a kid, if you know a kid doesn't need to go D1 and they're on and, and you you project I always make the project. I look at their age and I, I check where they are UTR wise. I'm looking at their entire game, but, mm-hmm. but you basically can kind of project, will this kid be able to, is this kid's going to top out like a nine and a half or 10? They, they maybe can get on a D3 program. And for girls, it's, it's a little less like, like uh, nine, nine or 10 is like the minimum for D1, right? So just mm-hmm. to get more or less. So, so in the back of my mind, that's, that's what I'm paid to do. Like I'm, parents pay me to train their kids to, to usually to play college some occasionally get kids who want to go pro that's a different different projection that's like a different uh, sure. uh track but um 
I'm focused on the development. So if a kid is uh, killing it in their USDA section and doing really well nationally, we're probably going to play the ITF junior circuit. Uh, depends on the kids' priorities, depends on what the parents want, if they have the money to travel. If not, they may do just the USDA national, like the typical junior national schedule. Uh, a lot of kids will, a lot of, a lot of kids now are bypassing USDA. I have a lot of young, young kids. I work with a lot of young prodigies and some of them are not playing USDA at all. You know, I, I tell them just play UTR. If you, if you, especially if they don't want to go through red, orange, green, right. You know, they don't want to go through an orange ball or green ball progression. I tell them, you know, just, uh, just play UTR. There's other circuits. We have a circuit here in the Northeast called junior tennis tour, which my friend runs. It's great. Uh, his name's Ed Gober. And, and it's fantastic, and it, it's yellow ball, and it's it's uh, it's based on a UTR platform. But but uh, there's different options. Little Mo is a really popular right. option for younger kids. But for the older kids, you're basically going to do the USDA national, like the typical USDA national schedule, or you're going to go ITF. And so for the kids that start out on the UTR circuit. There's always this concern that I hear from the parents. Well, if their USTA ranking isn't high enough, they can't get into the national tournaments. So we have to go. We, you know, we're trapped by the USTA system. What do you say yeah. to that? Yeah, you have. If you if you have to qualify for nationals, you got to do the U. You have to get. You have to play enough USTA events, and that will that will help your UTR. So I tell parents if they play USTA. That will that will help their UTR, but if you play only UTR, you're a little bit stuck because mm -hmm. it won't help your USDA uh, ranking uh, and and you know qualifying for nationals. So I, I guess once the kids are 12, um, they they will play both. Usually they'll play both, but the younger ones, a lot of them want to bypass the uh, the rigid uh, mandate, you know, from the USDA for for especially for orange ball and green. So you yeah. get a lot of little, little talented guys and girls who who will completely bypass. Uh, that red, orange, green, so, or or they'll play it and they'll do it really, really quick. Like they'll right. snap through it. No, that's another option. But you don't. It's really nice. You don't have to play USDA anymore. When I was a kid growing up, that was the only game in town. Yep. You had to play USDA. Now there's a lot of options for parents. But as you mentioned, it can be confusing and stressful to try to figure out what to play. But if you need to qualify for nationals, you're gonna have to play some USDA events. You have to. Yeah, and and here's the thing with that: if you're that good you're going to be able to play six USTA tournaments, do really well and qualify into the next level event. Right. Yeah. Um, if you're not sure. able to do that, that tells you something about where you are in your development. And that was a lesson I did not learn with my kid. Um, and I wish somebody had been that blunt with me that if your kid really is that good, you don't have to spend all this money traveling around. They're going to have competition at home, whether it's through fellow juniors, whether it's through adults, college players that are around. I mean, you don't have to spend the time and money to travel to play tennis if your kid is able to maximize the opportunities in front of them. But not every kid's in that position. But that's one of the great benefits of UTR is you can play, you can get level-based play in your in a yep. small Graphic area. That's one of the greatest things about UTR. And with WTN coming, the ITF will provide the same opportunity worldwide. So you have. Do you see that happening? You see, like, like for example, I'm here in Vermont, in Manchester, Vermont, which is a little ski town. 
And, I was just uh, saying, not not tennis mecca necessarily. No, no. And when people say people have to convince people that there's world class coaching here, because at first they say, "Oh, Vermont, the tennis is terrible." In Vermont. I, yeah. But I, I'm a New Yorker. I'm I'm, I'm here, you know, building something special. Uh, and people come from all over here to Vermont to train. But in terms of tournaments, it's really nice for me to run level based play here because that means I can pull from the entire community in this rural area. There's there happen to be some good men here. And some good adults here, and I can mix them with the juniors, top juniors who are visiting, and it's this really great for me. And I can imagine in in Africa or in some you know other parts of the world that would be a tremendous uh, way to grow the game, you know, mm. just all over the world. And ITF, I think, is going to push that and really help to grow the game with WTM. And um, yeah, so I see a great, great. Uh, that's one of the great advantages of UTR. Also. As you mentioned, you can track your your progress. So I I personally believe that UTR is fairly accurate. Probably get a lot of controversy, a lot of debate about that because nobody yeah. really likes their nobody really thinks their UTR is is right. High enough. Um, yeah, <laughs> Most my really kids think- rated this, but really she's a you know twelve point five. To be honest, I, I know they did a they did a rescale a couple of years back, but uh, I actually think it's pretty accurate when I when I when I have the kids coming to train with me and I, I see them play versus their UTR and I, I match them up it, I think it's pretty pretty good mm-hmm. overall there's nothing's perfect uh, so it's a pretty good tool so if you're in a small um, a, a geographic region that doesn't have a lot of players and maybe you're doing a lot of level-based play you're not maybe you can't afford to travel to nationals or do the ITF junior circuit that's a great way to track your kids progress it's also a great way to track how good your coach is doing I tell parents that um, on, on the one hand, you don't want to judge your coach solely based on the, your kid's UTR improvement. Like, oh, you're not a good coach. My kid, my kid's UTR went down and, or didn't go up fast enough. But at the same time, if your coach is doing a good job and, and doing everything he's, he or she is supposed to be doing, you should see a, 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 tr- a rising trend in the mm-hmm. UTR. And that tells you that you're on track eventually maybe to get into those, those onto a college team. And sometimes coaches will will tell parents, you know, oh, don't worry, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You hear that a lot from coaches, and that's true, right? It's true, but it's also kind of a way that coaches escape responsibility to do their job. Sometimes it can be a deceptive practice that coaches do. They say, oh, don't worry, you you haven't had a good year, but just wait till you're 16 or 18, and that can be a problem. I think parents should be wary. That's kind of a red flag for me. On the one hand, yes, it is a long-term develop. It is long-term development, but at the same time, there should be steady incremental improvement that you see, and that's how you measure the the strength of a coach. You know, the value. I want to dig into that a little more because that's a pretty um, chock full statement that you just really. Made. Oh, yeah. I said all the time. Yeah, to because it's obvious to me. It's obvious. Well. I mean, Right. And we do talk about junior tennis development as a long-term process. It is. And and I push that notion, obviously, because I think it's true. I happen to have a kid who was a late bloomer physically and emotionally. And when he hit, he hit hard and started beating all the kids that he had lost to, you know, in the younger age groups. But that's not, you're saying... Some coaches are using that 
Sure. Kind of as a, well, yeah. yeah, my kid's losing every week. Oh, well, don't worry. Don't worry. They're going to get better eventually. Not saying, well, I suck as a coach and I have no idea what I'm doing to help your kid get better. Yeah, it can, it can be a deliberate, deceptive practice. That's that's very, you know, um, that's kind of a negative way to look at it. But the, the coaches themselves may believe, because we hear that in the industry a lot, the coaches themselves may truly believe that it's a long-term process and that the kid eventually will get better. I guess it derives from the idea that I think the best coaches get kids better faster and lesser coaches get kids better slower. So I think- Why is what you that? Want, what's that? Why? Because they, they're better. They have a better- I mean, what's the difference? Kind of methodology. Well, I think the rate that you can get a kid better is, is a measure of your ability as a coach. You know, parents like- Wait, 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 wait. I need to digest that a second. The rate at which you get a kid better yes. is a measurement of your ability as a coach. Yes, it's a metric. Yes. So like okay. if you have okay. a, a, good, a good coach and he's able to get a kid to- we can use UTR if you'd like. He's able to get a kid to attend UTR, uh, let's say from 12 to 60 and four, takes him four years. Okay. Okay. That's good. But if another coach in the area can get the same kid to 10 UTR by 15 or 14, I think the other coach is better. You know, so, so that's what I mean by a metric. So it's not necessarily that they both reach 10 UTR, both kids reach 10 UTR, but I think the, the best coach, the better coaches in the world are more efficient so they can get a kid better. They have a way to unlock the talent. They extract the greatness faster than coaches who are, have less ability, less experience, less knowledge, because those coaches are usually making mistakes along the way. They're doing things that are not efficient. Maybe the drills that they're using or the, or the, the, the guidance on tournaments or whatever, their whole package, the whole pack, whatever they're mm-hmm. doing is it, the guidance that they're giving is not as efficient as the ones who are the best. So that's that's kind of where that, that comes I feel from. like we're opening Pandora's box here and I'm gonna get a flood of calls and emails um questioning. Is that, is that a controversial thing to say? Well, I mean, I don't know that it's controversial. Uh, I just think it's well, a different for, for, way yeah. of evaluating coaching that maybe people haven't thought about. And so, you know, how well, do you know as a parent, is my coach the right coach for my kid. I mean, this is the question, yeah. you know, it's the well, age old question. I, I think, I think this is where UTR and W10 is very, very valuable because you have an objective data point on which to measure a coach's ability. You, you, it, it's in the back. It doesn't have to be front and center. Like we're going to do everything just for the number, but in mm-hmm. the back, but parents should definitely use that data point. It's an objective way to measure coaches. It's a, it's a measure the ability of a coach. And as you divide it, but by not time. the only measure, right? I mean, no. here's the thing, because no. and, and this is what I want to be very careful about, Chris, is we tend to glom on to one metric as the end all be all. And we got to get away from that mindset. But Lisa, that's the God out. It's God. You have to trust God. Whatever God <laughs> says, God is omnipotent. Omniscient, oh, let's not go there. Omnipresent. <laughs> the algorithm can't be wrong, Lisa. It's an algorithm. Come on. Nobody's saying that it's wrong, but you know, that it's only one piece of the puzzle. And I, I go back to the statement I made earlier, which is the good college coaches don't use only one metric when making a decision about whether or not to recruit a player. They're looking right. at the whole package. And I think when we're looking at evaluating our child's junior coach, we don't want to just base that on one metric. 
For sure. I mean, of course you're right. But but you were saying it's so confusing for parents. So like, what's what can they use that gives you an instant like objective judgment of yeah. you know, and that's that is a very useful tool because every yeah. coach says they're great. You know, you 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 see meet this coach, meet that. They all going to tell you. They're all going to sell you the moon. They're going to tell you, you know, don't worry. When your kid your kid's going to be, I'm going to have them ready for D1. You know, they're going to be a 13 UTR. Don't worry. you know. And parents have to be, they have to do the due diligence, you know, because, and, right. and there are other ways, there are other subjective ways to judge a coach. I mean, you can look at their background, you can talk to get references. It's a great references is a very good way to find out who the coach worked with. Talk yeah. to other parents who have worked with the coach for years. Coach but, should be able to, so that, that's problem. really, that's a great way to, yeah. to research the coach because well, that will give you another honest assessment. I agree with that, but with a caveat that a coach that works well with one kid may not work well with another. And I've said this over and over again, even within the same family, a coach that works well with one sibling may not be the right coach for another sibling. There could be personality differences. There just could be differences in the way the child learns that the coach hasn't been able to pick up on. Um, so I, I, you know, yes, again, these are all tools, but there's not one end all be all to determine how great a coach is for your particular child, just as there's not one end all be all to determine if a player is the best fit for a particular college. And, and I just, you know, I, I want everybody to understand that as great as these tools are and as much as they're getting better at the more data they can pull in, they're still not, it's not, it's not the one thing that makes the difference. It, there's still sure. so many factors to consider. For sure. And there's a relationship there, a really important relationship there. That that the bond between a coach and a student is really important. But again, I think it's dangerous if you're a parent. Let's say you have a really nice guy, your kid loves it, the rapport is great. And you've been two two years with that guy, and your UTR has only gone up a little bit. The guy keeps saying, Don't worry, don't worry, it's gonna come together. I mean, that's a that's a dangerous place to be as a parent and a family, I think, developmentally. And you can you you it's gonna take a lot of trust for that thing to turn around. And I think it usually turns south more than it goes the other way. That, that's just my, maybe I'm, I'm a pessimist, but I've had too many kids come to train with me that, that I've heard that story from parents. They said, oh, sure. my, coach, my coach said, you know, we're doing great. And I look at them technically and they were a mess technically, especially in the younger years. You know, uh, I see a lot of kids with technical issues and then they come to me by 12 or 13 and, and they're a mess. And, and uh, I, I'm looking at the parents and I'm saying, you realize you've lost, you just lost like, couple of years. So develop, you, you wasted a couple of years because now we're going to have to go back and clean everything up to get your kid on track to, to play college. Things like that, I think are inexcusable. That's a kid's life. That's a kid's dream. Uh, you ba- Let's say you have from age 10 to 18, if you have seven or eight years to, to really um, train and mm-hmm. to make the most of every, every day. If you hook up with a coach who's selling you uh, a lot of, who's blowing a lot of, a lot of smoke, uh, that that can kill a dream really fast. You have to be really careful as a parent in those situations. Yeah, I mean, if the coach has a great track record, has references, experiences, and he's telling you, look, just be patient. It's going to happen. Then that's that's one thing. But it's a very, yeah. I think it's a dangerous place. That's your kid. I have four kids. 
And and if my kid's struggling and they're not seeing improvement, that's that's that is a that's not not a good place to be in. And tricky business as a parent. You have to. It's going to be a tough call for the parent whether to cut that tie and move on or or to trust the coach. It's a tough decision. Right. And I've talked about that, you know, just with my own experience with my son, um, you know, we lost a lot of time <clears throat> along the way. And, okay. you know, so I, I totally get what you're saying. I, again, I just want to reiterate that <clears throat> you have to look at the whole picture. And I think, you know, a lot of times parents get caught up in looking at results and looking at results from their kids' peers and feeling like the grass is greener and it's not always greener. So, you know, I just want to say, I think it's important to kind of take that step back and, and look at it more globally. Yeah. Each kid's on their own pathway. Some kids come to the game later. Some kids are super dolly. And I have seven or eight year olds that are prodigies that are like, you talk to them, they're like a 15 year old. They have the maturity adult. Then you have kids who are 13 and 14 and they're really not that mature yet. And you're still waiting for them to grow. So every kid is on their own journey for sure. And then parents, it's hard not to compare to the next kid. Just like you say, it's difficult to do that. Kids do that too. And you have to tell them. Be... So that's where the message of be patient. Right. <laughs> development. See, that's where the, that's where good, that's where that's, that's good advice in those situations, but it just, yeah. it, it goes both ways. Yeah, you know? for sure. And again, sprint. It's a marathon, but if you can sprint, I always say, if you can, if you, if you can sprint, then that's good. You're going to get there faster. Yeah, absolutely. But that's again, where these algorithms can be helpful, but they can also be harmful. And, you know, you have, like we were discussing in your face every day, the ability to go on the app and see where you are and see where all your peers are. And that gets very anxiety producing, especially for kids who don't have the maturity to understand what they're in for. And for the parents who like to play that game of, well, maybe it's better over here. Well, maybe it's better over there. You know, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, Every coach that I've had on this podcast says the same thing. You know, the grass isn't always greener. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you're in the wrong situation and you need to make a change. But just because you make a change doesn't mean the situation is going to get better. So I bet those coaches didn't say UTR is a great way to measure their 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 coach's ability. But you're totally they you're did totally, not. Uh, that's that's unique to me. Uh, you're, you're totally right, though, that that parents get obsessed with the rate, the number. Kids are stressed out. It's on the app. Parents should probably take the phone away. We can get into, let's get into some of the negatives if you want, because yep. that's really, really unhealthy for kids to be checking their number all the time. Just like it's probably unhealthy to be on Instagram all the time or on TikTok. You know, I, my kids have limited phone uses. I, uh, my oldest one, I, she's 16, so she has a phone. But my younger ones, I have 14 and 11 and a three-year-old, she's definitely not on the phone. But uh, <laughs> I think that parent, parents have to monitor that and try to keep the kid from getting obsessed but some of the parents are obsessed so probably i think the uh the withdrawal from tournaments is a big big issue with with utr tournaments especially parents protecting or players and parents trying to protect their ranking and withdrawing from consolation it's a really big issue in in today's tournament world so this is another negative where kids are ducking 
Lots of kids and their parents sometimes are ducking matches and ducking out of tournaments. And I think there's got to be a way that UTR and ITF and WTN can solve that. Like there should be either maybe on the on the disincentive side or an incentive side to try to get kids to stop doing it. That's that's probably the biggest